Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to The Delicious Legacy. For those of you with curious minds and hungry mouths, welcome to another archaeogastronomical adventure with me, your host, Thomas Dinas. Now, for many of you who are from uh, the United Kingdom or the United States of America, you are mostly aware of uh, Burns Night that's coming up on the 25th of January. And it's probably no surprise to you that... um, what this entails, the food that they drink and the poetry and the singing. But um, I think it's uh, worth exploring a little bit because it's interesting to find um, the traditions of Scotland and uh, some uh, foods and uh, the historic roots of um, things like whiskey and haggis and so on. Now, I first uh, heard... um, of uh, Robert Burns many, many, many moons ago when I was uh, a young boy, I guess, uh, in Greece um, from an advert, through an advert. And I believe that was a whiskey advert. And um, there was a poem of uh, Robert Burns, A Red, Red Rose, um, which made a very big impression on me. Robert Burns was born on the 25th of January 1759 and is the national poet of Scotland, in a sense. So the Burns Night takes place on the 25th of January each year. And many people, as many of you know, mark the occasion by going to a Burns Supper. An event, a traditional supper, an evening that that celebrates the life and work of Robert Burns. A bard is a poet, one that traditionally recites epics, and associated with, uh, the part- with a particular oral tradition. It's a word recorded from the Middle English, a word of Celtic origin, and um, as such, a very fitting uh, title for, uh, for someone like Robert Burns. Burns died in July 1796. Uh, he was only 37 years old, and um, apart from a very talented <laughs> poet, was um, um, a big fan of... Um, the old alcoholic tipple. So, yeah, he died, um, unfortunately, very young in Dumfries. And the popular theory goes that uh, he died from uh, rheumatism having been found by the roadside in a freezing, pouring rain after a very heavy drinking session. 
where he was found uh, sleeping by the roadside. Of course, there's another side to it. The fact that um, the poet was perhaps seriously ill for many years prior to that. The very first Burns Supper was held in July 1801, when uh, nine of Burns' closest friends got together to mark the fifth anniversary of his passing, of their friend's death. And that uh, took place at the Burns Cottage in Alloway. The night uh, included, of course, a meal, performances of Burns' work, and a speech in honour of the great bard, and the speech um, now known as the Immortal Memory. It seems like the night was uh, an enormous success, and they decided to hold it again, this time in honour of um, Rabbi's birthday. So that was since then that started happening on the 25th of January. And this is a tradition that we still enjoy to this day, which is uh, a fantastic thing, <laughs> if you want to ask me. I mean, especially thinking that it's held a month after Christmas, and it's um, in the mid of a bleak winter so any excuse uh, for getting together and uh, partying and drinking and gathering with friends the organizing of the first commemorative dinner the reverend hamilton paul kept notes of the occasion and um, thanks to these notes we know about the meal and the performances and the speech and we know what they ate back then and one of the things was obviously haggis and nips and tatties and um I guess, plentiful of drink. And of course, another traditional food uh, that we don't really do nowadays is a sheep's head. Uh, so yeah, sheep's head and haggis was um, the first um, meal that people ate in honour of uh, the great Scottish poet. The whole affair begins with uh, the host by saying the Selkirk Grace, which was written by Burns. The haggis is then piped in on a silver platter. So basically the bagpipes playing uh, um, and marking the arrival of the of the supper and the centerpiece. And one chosen speaker, esteemed, Scottish or simply brave enough, will perform the address to a haggis with as much uh, gusto as possible so as not to bore the guests uh, with its eight verses. And then there's the theatrical piercing of the haggis with a ceremonial knife. And then there's a communal calls for the, of the haggis which is a signal to tuck in to the great um, pudding, which is usually accompanied by nips and tatties, which is turnips and potatoes. Of course, many whiskies follow, as many as you like, really, often as a way of toasting each speech. So what is haggis? Haggis is a type of savoury pudding that combines meat with oatmeal, onions, salt and spices, generally and often served with the classic side of uh, the mashed nips and tatties. And um, traditionally haggis is um, cooked in a sheep's stomach, which is a historic and old way of preserving the meat. And um, generally that meat was probably mostly the offal. Um, so after a hunt or after a kill of an animal, the first things that you take out is the guts, the offals and the um, the ones that you can eat and you can consume, um, you start cooking them immediately because they're fresh and they spoil quickly. And one thing you would do is you get all the the plaque, the um, the plaque of the sheep of the animal, which is usually the heart, the liver, and the lungs, 
and you'll mince them with onions, oatmeal, which is a very traditional um, staple of Scotland, and um, you'll mix that with um, also sweet and salt and spices, um, boiled uh, in the animal's stomach for around an hour, and that would uh, basically uh, preserve it, cook it, preserve it, and it will stay for, for fresh for a while, maybe a week or so up in, in Scotland. And yeah, I mean, it might sound a bit weird for some people, but um, to me, it's a, it's a delicacy. It's something really tasty. And it's something that obviously I approve since um, we do a lot of cocorates in Greece. So it's an awful kebabs, as you know, and I, I might have mentioned once or twice in previous episodes. Now, of course, for you who listen to the podcast, you might know that the f- that uh, I might go back to ancient Greece and the first written mention of haggis-type sausage comes from uh, an ancient Greek uh, play from Aristophanes in 423 BCE, where he actually refers of one uh, type of pudding, haggis-type pudding, that exploded. So the first recipe of uh, pudding, pudding called threon, from a papyrus fragment, goes back to a guy named Pollux. Basically... Julius Pollux was a Greek scholar and rhetorician from Naucratis in ancient Egypt. Emperor Commodus appointed him as a professor chair of rhetoric in Athens at the Academy on account of his melodious voice, or at least uh, that's what we know according to Philostratus' Lives of the Sophists. Pollux died in Athens 230 AD, and this pudding called Threon must have been an Athenian national dish as well, since Aristophanes evidently used it uh, in his comedy The Frogs where there is a passage, and the rough translation of the passage is something like, I'd pulverize both wrapped puddings of my brain. And basically, the recipe goes like this. Lard, brains, eggs, and cream cheese were beaten together. The mixture was wrapped in fig leaves and tied, and boiled in chicken or kid broth, then untied and given a final cooking in boiling honey. Interesting, isn't it? Anyway, back to our Burns night and uh, the haggis. Um, in truth, we don't really know about the origins of haggis, the world and the food itself. There are many blood sausages and many offal sausages all over the world and Europe and, of course, uh, England and Scotland, Britain in general. So it could be that uh, travelled through Europe and reached the British Isles uh, at some point in the past with the Romans perhaps or after around 1000 AD. But it might have been like a discovery, simultaneous discovery throughout the world, any, any, any kind of um, uh, traditional society that preserves uh, meat, any, any agrarian society that uses animals will use the whole product, basically. Many people believe, although, uh, especially here, that um, the word haggis comes from the Scot word hag, which means to chop or hew, and others believe that the dish has Viking connections too, with uh, the strong similarities to the Swedish word hagka and the Icelandic hokva, both of which also mean to chop. So haggis-type dishes that are obviously found in Scandinavia too. And um, yeah, I mean, Scotland has many connections with with uh, Viking and uh, Scandinavian history as well. So we, we don't really know. There's another interesting connection that um, uh, from a um, bilingual English-Latin dictionary, which uh, is attributed to Geoffrey the Grammarian, who was a Norfolk friar in the year around 1440. So we're talking about roughly 600 years ago. There is uh, the word haggis that features on this this, uh, dictionary 
which is called, the dictionary is called Promptorium Parvulorum. So the word is featured in there. No recipe is given, of course, but it's defined for the first time as a pudding. And it was almost certainly made of sheep, because uh, sheep at the time, they were very, very important for the local Norfolk uh, community and the, and the economy. So how did it become Scottish? How did this dish become so important for Scotland and so distinct compared to the rest of the UK? Alexander Lee, who was a fellow of the Centre for the Study of Renaissance at the University of Warwick, writes uh, saying that um, the first people to identify haggis as Scottish were not the Scots, but the English themselves. And most likely there were two reasons for this. Um, first was a, a general shift of uh, in patterns of consumption. By the end of the 17th century, the English diet began to change. There was an agricultural revolution at the time, which um, swept the country. The productivity increased, uh, even so dramatically in some cases, and um, it made a wider range of better quality produce available to more people. So that probably had a drastic effect in uh, the market for offal, so probably reduced the market considerably. Of course, they were eaten, and especially from the poorer people and the poorer sections of the society. It was no longer a food of first resort as such. And it seems like this is like haggis began to fall out of fashion. In Scotland, at the same period, or at least in the late 17th century, there was the precise opposite that took place. There was a period of marked economic decline. And uh, for seven years, there was a severe famine and followed by a devastating crash, which was brought on by a crazy attempt by the Scot to establish a Scottish colony in the Gulf of Darien, in modern Panama, which is a, a notoriously difficult, swampy and uh, mosquito-infested area. By the time of the union with England in 1707, there was a slight recovery, but the gains were very uneven, of course. Many landlords saw their incomes grow, especially with the enclosure and the introduction of modern farming techniques. But many, many of the tenants of the farms, whose rents were increasingly set by auction, found themselves priced out of their homes by this commercialism of the agriculture. So without landlord livelihood, their living conditions declined markedly. And it could be that this served as a reason to increase the popularity in haggis in Scotland. And since the ingredients were all inexpensive, it was probably something that even the poorest could afford. So while there was disappearing in England in the 18th century, it was booming in Scotland. And the second reason is that simultaneously at this period, there was a marked and conscious effort for Scottish people to define themselves as different from the English. So there, there was a, a start to that building of Scottish um, nationalism in a way. And I guess um, the reason of claiming haggis as their own and with pride was one of these reasons. So we know that the most telling expression of this was Robert Burns's address to Haggis, where Burns implicitly acknowledges that there's a connection between food and character and turn it to a Scottish um, psyche advantage that other nations might have their ragu and uh, olio or fricassees and all these fancy foods, as he argued. But that sort of food only turned men into weakling. Haggis, by contrast, was the sort of food real men were made of. Those who ate it made the earth resound with their tread and could cut heads off their enemies as easily as if they were the tops of thistles. And if the English wanted to sneer at it, that was their business. But they'd better watch out. 
I'll be back after this short break. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All in all, the history of Haggis is very complex and with no clear answer, as we have seen, as with many, many other foods uh, that we explore and investigate over previous episodes. But um, nowadays, a traditional um, Scottish Burns Night dinner could include, as a starter, traditionally you can have a cockeliki soup, which is chicken and uh, leek, and um, basically the Haggis with nips and tatties for, for main, and for dessert, um, a traditional Scottish Cranachan, a toasted oatmeal, cream and raspberries mixture laced with uh, whiskey. So after the meal, after the dessert, the first Burns recital is performed, which is the immortal memory, as we said, the main tribute speech to Burns. And then the second Burns recital is performed. Uh, then there is the toast to the lassies, followed by the reply to the toast to the lassies. And then before the final Burns recital is performed, And then to end the night, the host gives a vote of thanks. Everyone stands up and sings Old Lang Syne, crossing their arms and joining hands on the line. And then there's a hand, my trusty, fair. Aside from the cock and leaky soup, another traditional Scottish um, uh, starter could be a Scotch broth or a Callens kink. So the Callens kink is a thick, traditional Scottish soup made of smoked haddock, potatoes and onions. And it's easy enough to find... Um, A recipe if you Google if you Google Callan's kink. Sheep's head and sheep's head broth were very popular um, foods uh, back then, and there are recipes from the early 19th century. So basically, you were going to the butcher and asking him to sp- 
and asking him to split the sheep's head into halves, wash this clean and put them into a boiling pot with two gallons of water. Set this on the fire to boil, skim it well, add carrots, turnips, onions, leeks, celery and thyme, season with pepper and salt, add some scotch barley and all the whole to keep gently boiling by the side of the fire for three hours, adding a little water to make up for the deficiency in quantity occasioned by boiling, as is the recipe from the British Homery Cook by May Byron. And so obviously, the firstly they were eating the broth, and then the head cold was eaten with vinegar and mustard, and it was used as well as breakfast in many parts of uh, Scotland. Of course, Robert Burns is a very important f- figure, and um, he was certainly unpopular for some of his behaviour, because he had some libertine tendencies and behaviours, and some revolutionary political views. So there was no shortage of people willing to propagate the idea that he he was ruined by drink, and especially from the English side. And yeah, he liked alcohol and he was inebriated on numerous occasions. However, there is a book that claims that um, during the autumn of 1791, so five years before his death, things were very desperate. That, that Bernice's doctor came to visit him five times in one week. Uh, Robert was complaining of painful joints and fever, and within a few years he could barely get around without an assistance. So he was essentially an invalid. And by 1796, the time of his death, certainly the trips to the local pub uh, seemed to be out of the question. So this is the story of um, Burns, Burns Night, and um, the traditional fair that served on the 25th of January. Of course, another staple that comes with um, a traditional Burns Night dinner is whiskey. And whiskey is uh, pretty much um, associated with uh, Scotland. And um, it's been distilled there for hundreds of years, of course. And again, the origin story of whiskey is kind of um, is lost in the past and in the myths and uh, traditions of um, perhaps... Christian monks traveling throughout um, the British Isles and Ireland. And perhaps it was them that brought um, the distilling process and methods to Scotland, or perhaps were Highland farmers. The word whiskey comes from the Gaelic word whiskey beatha, so the water of life. Some believe that the unrefined predecessor of modern whiskey could have been discovered by farmers distilling spirits from their surplus grains. And in 1405, it's where we get the first written record of whiskey appearing in some Irish annals, where it was a document. It was documented that the head of a clan had died from taking a surfeit of aqua vitae, or water of life, i.e. distilled alcohol. In a way, we should thank um, the Arabs of the medieval period for whiskey, and although they didn't invent it, or... Whiskey as such hasn't been known as we've seen until the 15th century. However, the distillation process was initiated and um, kind of um, advanced in many stages uh, by the Arabs of medieval period. So alchemists described preparation of water, of the water of life, and the distillation method used to enrich the product by conveying the alcoholic vapors through ash or quicklime. And about 1494, we have documented evidence of the distilling of whiskey occurring in Scotland. Of course, 
the first thing to do is to define whiskey. And what is whiskey? A type of liquor made from fermented grain mash. Of course, this um, aging of whiskey that uh, we have nowadays and we have all these expensive, unique products that gives rich tones and enhances its deep flavor profile and we have all these um, notes and accents. It was discovered by accident during the 1800s. Prior to being barrel or cascades, whiskey was most typically consumed raw, straight from the still. Uh, but Spanish sherry barrels increased in availability in the 19th century after blight decimated the wine harvest in the cognac region of France. And with cognac supply being hugely affected in England and Scotland, Spanish sherry was imported as an alternative. And while it was not cost-effective to ship empty barrels back to Spain, Scottish distillers thought this as an opportunity to buy the empty barrels that were much higher quality than the vessels they were previously using to store the whiskey in. And probably during this chance discovery, the origin of cask-aged uh, whiskey was established. Initially, the Scottish and Irish whiskey was distilled in a pot still. And this is a simple distillation apparatus. Um, a pot consists of a single heating chamber with an arm or piping leading to a vessel which collects the distilled alcohol. In 1820s, a new design of steel became available, patented by Aeneas Coffey, and um, this is known as the continuous or column steel. And the column steel behaves much like a series of pot steels combined together in a long vertical tube. And this produces a rising vapor, which initially is low in alcohol, that then condenses and becomes more enriched with alcohol as it ascends up through the column. So this development by Coffey allowed whiskey makers to produce their spirits in a more efficient and cost-effective way. And this, rather than distilling in batches, operated in a continuous basis and produced much larger quantities of whiskey. And they are traditionally made of uh, copper. Both the pot steel and the continuous steel designs are made from copper, a material that helps remove the sulfur-based compounds from the alcohol during the distillation process. Of course, what led to Scotch whiskey become much more popular was that this method was rejected by the Irish distilleries, so coffee took this design to Scotland, which, uh, w- which was enthusiastically adapted there, and hence um, the Scottish whisky was created, um, like the blended Scotch whisky was created and overtook the consumption of the Irish whisky. And uh, we have like single malt whisky, which is produced uh, using a single malted grain at a single distillery, and which is usually done on a pot still distillation process. Then there's a blended whiskey, which doesn't fit in any standard variety. There's a Scotch whiskey, which by law is labeled as such if it's made in Scotland and follows a specific distillation process. And this can be single malt or blended. And of course, this uh, has a distinctive peaty or smoky taste sometimes, and which comes from the malt that is used to create it being dried over a peat-fueled fire. And according to Wikipedia, in 2022, whiskey exports from Scotland were valued at £6.25 billion, making up um, a quarter of all UK's food and drink export revenues. And this is all for today. Remember, if you want the podcast early and ad-free, subscribe to my Patreon page uh, at the Delicious Legacy Podcast. And there you get uh, all the podcasts early, ad-free, with articles and recipes as extra bonus and of course some videos occasionally when I have time to make them all about ancient food this podcast can only exist with your general support 
So if you feel like uh, becoming a Patreon backer, then go and join me there. But if you can't afford that, then uh, please, please, please share the podcast with your friends and family and, uh, and basically rate it and review if you can in any platform that you get it. So you have Spotify, you have YouTube, you have Apple Podcasts, you have Acast, Pocketcasts, uh, Podbean and many, many other platforms. So please share, rate and review. Thanks for listening. I've been Thomas Dinas and this was the Delicious Legacy Podcast. Happy Burns Night for all. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.